Hi guys and welcome back to the Box to Box. Nicholas here, I'm your host this week. And I'm joined by Mark. Say hey to people, Mark. What's good, people? Right, Mark. It's it's been quite a while. Like I think we uh we owe the people a return to this podcast and another episode. Um it's been about like two months uh since you know the World Cup concluded and just uh coming off of what we can say has been a very interesting return to club football all around. How you've been enjoying the football generally since we've been back? Yeah, no, it's been it's been good. I think there's been loads of football for for a moment after the World Cup, after everything happened. It was kind of like, oh, back to club football is a bit sad, but now everything's starting up again. We've got champs back. We've got the FA Cup started. The EFL's coming to an end, and the Premier League is like right in the thick of it. So the football is good. It's been it's been really fun to watch, and especially as a United fan, because uh, Tenag is cooking something special. Yeah, <laughs> he's cooking something special. But uh, that's a topic for another day. Yeah, obviously you would enjoy all that. Um, Man United has actually like exceeded my expectations personally. I didn't actually think that they would progress this far along. More like the way nobody thought that Arsenal would be challenging for the title when we all expected at the beginning of the season that they'll be fighting for top four. But um, yeah. the first thing I actually do want to mention is this title race, which is something which we haven't actually mentioned on the podcast for the entire season. How has Arsenal been doing for you? I think Arsenal, they've exceeded all expectations. And I think they continue to exceed expectations. I think if you look at their expect, you know, there's expected goals, there's expected assists, expected goals against, but there's also expected points. And I think Arsenal have been outperforming their expected points. So even... Like even the mathematicians are surprised at how well Arsenal are pl- uh, how well Arsenal are doing, but I will say that I think it is very well deserved. Arteta, Arteta has come and he's kind of changed the whole culture around Arsenal. I don't I don't like give him all the credit. I think the backroom staff have been immense as well. I think we saw a glimpse of it in All or Nothing. How 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 much detail goes into each training session and like into cultivating this winning culture and this very aggressive like winner mentality from um that guy who i think his name is carlos i forgot his last name but carlos the guy who's just there just to check on the well-being of the players from that and having edwin as a sports director and all of them kind of working in unison so it's it's not come out of nowhere i think maybe to like uh, a, a regular a regular fan or maybe someone who doesn't watch as much football it might be like a huge surprise but i do think it it, it has there are a lot of things that have gone on behind the scenes that have helped to to kind of make arsenal what it is right now but that being said it still is very impressive and i think arteta has done a bang up job i think the players have done a bang up job i think saka I'll, I'll single him out. He's been immense for Arsenal. Uh, I think you guys made some good signings as well. But yeah, I am to put it uh, to put it lightly. I am very jealous. <laughs> I'm very jealous. I want to be where you guys are right now. Let me tell you something. At least you didn't give us a casual take. Like, oh, it's all well and good. 
but at the end of the day, if they don't if they don't win the title, it's an absolute disaster. Um, but then you know, having said that, everybody does have um, the preconceptions of you know people talk about the history of the Tottenham, but you can say the history of the Arsenal really when it comes to the fact that whenever it's come to the title fights, whenever it's even come to top four recently. There's always been something missing, and you always feel like a bottle job is coming eventually. And quite recently, Arsenal have been very good, particularly in January, but February hasn't really been the same story. They have actually been conceding quite a lot of goals. They have lost two in the last three until they finally gave us you know, a good performance against Aston Villa, which put a lot of pressure onto Manchester City. And City ended up, you know, they beat Arsenal at the Emirates just a few days ago at the time of recording. Only for them to draw against uh, Nottingham Forest at the away ground and Arsenal being back at the top of the league like nothing ever happened. But do you think Manchester City is the same club uh, as it has been for like the past five, six years? Or do you think that the mentality has shifted? Cancelo left out of nowhere, out of the blue. Nobody expected that. And obviously the charges from the Premier League about their financial fair play. Do you think this is all culminating into an eventual Arsenal title win? Or do you think they can overcome all these circumstances oh man that's you know what winning and continuing to win those are like are two very different things and difficult things it's i'd say it's 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 not easy but it's easier to win but to keep winning is very very tough and i think now pep has been winning for a while and to keep it that way is very difficult so it's hard to say they're the same i remember uh, a few years ago or, or a few seasons ago um rio ferdinand sat down with pep and they had an interview and rio asked pep he was like how do you how do you make sure that after five four premier league trophies your players are still hungry how do you make sure that you know they're no longer complacent and pep went and asked rio i said oh okay look at united you won loads of trophies with them in this but in the six seasons or however many you were there the first season and the last season was it the same players that were there and Rio responded with no and that's what pep said he's like no you need to change if you want to improve you need you need to change and i think that's what we're kind of seeing right now like this big this kind of big change he's got rid of a lot of players he's brought in a, a bunch of new players um i don't want to call the players deadwood, but I would I will say fresh legs and fresh ideas, um, freshly motivated players. So that's kind of why maybe we're kind of seeing this different Manchester City, not the city we're used to. It's just because they're going through this process of change. As for if they can still win the title, I have a lot of faith in Pep Guardiola. I think he's an amazing manager, and I think he can he can get the best out of any group of players. So they definitely still have a shout. Uh, to win to win the, the Premier League no matter how many points Arsenal get as long as there's still games to be played Manchester City are in there with a chance and I will also add not just because I'm a United fan but I think that United are slowly quietly in the background creeping up on the, on, <laughs> on Arsenal and Manchester City and I wouldn't be surprised if those two are so preoccupied with each other that United kind of just come out of the blue and maybe cause a little a little bit of trouble uh, up there at the top. But uh, yeah, definitely, I, I I still think that Man City can can come back and win the title.
Yeah, well, I agree with that in terms of like the sentiment, but not necessarily the sentiment with Man United. I think every Man United fan, <laughs> they think they just want to be involved. They think they're invited, but they're not. I think that will even be the episode heading. They think they're invited. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that they can't finish second or even win the title mathematically. I don't think they will win the title, but mathematically everything is still possible, obviously. But I think, um, you know, they're still in four competitions. I think that's eventually going to weigh down on them eventually. I think Ten Hag will even call you crazy to finish first inside this particular season. Maybe not crazy to finish second. Um, but no, totally. Um, I'll obviously back my Arsenal, as in I always say that. I think, you know, I, I always use that Argentina winning the World Cup juju all the time, that there's just certain things which feel like it's right. And City failing to do the three-peat, which only United have done, makes sense. And Arsenal should be the team to stop it from happening. I think you you wouldn't want them to do a three-peat, would you, Mark? You know, that would that, like ruin Fergie's legacy just a bit that Pep might be the greatest manager in English football history. Um, uh, no. You know the problem is that Pep is still young and he's still going to be managing. So, like, Fergie has to watch out for that. Who knows? But at the same time, Golden Boot winner... Hasn't won the Premier League since Van Persie in 2013 as well. And at the same time, Arsenal have been in the driving seat for so long, longer than you'd expect them to, that, you know, and the fact that they are actually putting pressure on City, who knows what can happen, but they, they are heads on. They have the title in their hands, as in, like, they actually can, you know, they basically have the outcome in their hands as it stands because they're ahead of City. So because they have it in their hands, that means that they can control, effectively control their own destiny by winning every single game till the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. But, but unfortunately, it's not always that straightforward. But we'll see how it goes. Either way, I think it's a 50-50. But then you can actually maybe put it to maybe 51-49 in City's favor due to the experience factor, obviously. But still, awful lot of games to go. So we'll see how that goes. Um, another point of order that must be mentioned is Toad Boily. I quote him Toad Boily because he has been frogging up the transfer window <laughs> for the past two windows, 600 million pounds spent only by Chelsea Football Club. I heard some stat that that's more than Europe, the rest of Europe's top leagues combined. Like, you know, take away the Premier League. Put Serie A, Bundesliga, um, you know, I think, uh, what, what have we got? La Liga and Liga. Put them all inside a league sandwich. And Todd Boyley eats that sandwich with two hands quite easily. What can you make of this? Because Mudrik, Enzo, Jao Felix, but yet it's just not clicking, is it? Oh, man, I feel really bad. I feel really bad for, for do Todd you? because do you do no you because really? I feel bad for, for Todd because I, I feel like he thinks that you can kind of maybe just throw money at the problem and surely it will fix itself. But um as a United fan I can tell you that's not how it works. You can spend all the money in the world, but it's it just it's, unfortunately it doesn't it doesn't work like that. And I feel like man, when you spend a hundred million pounds for a player I feel like you almost kind of set them up to fail. There have been so many players who've been who've been um, bought 
for hundred for like hundred million pounds plus, and I think maybe only Mbappe probably was the only player who was actually worth it. If you look at the rest of them, they probably haven't lived up to the hype or to the billing. And so it, I feel like that already puts a, a lot of pressure on players to come and then I feel like, oh, I need to perform. But uh, at, at the same time, I feel like this Todd Bowley project, it is, it is exactly that. It's a project and projects take time. I just talked about Arteta and how his entire like backroom staff was brand new and how Edu came in to help him. That's what's that's what's going on at Chelsea right now. They've sacked everybody, all they like their directors, uh, Peter Cech, um that Maria lady who was dealing with transfers, all of them are gone. Todd has brought in his own people. He's brought in obviously the new manager Graham Potter, like midway midway through the season. And then Potter has to get his own backroom staff. So it is a process. It is something that will will take time. And so if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm not too worried at the moment. Because, okay, yeah, obviously it's not nice only winning, what is it, two games out of, out of the last 17. It's not nice having Marcus Rashford scoring as many goals as you have in the entire season. It's not nice. I, I get that. But um, I think it is a process. And you have to trust it. You have to trust the process. Surely at the at the end of it, when every when everyone is kind of like settled, when the dust is settled and you know you have the, the right people in the right places in charge, you will see I think Chelsea will see better results and they'll be better for it. Yeah, no, I I think that's a good a good take. Um, I don't know why you had to sneak in Rashford there. I think the normal stat that we use is that Erling, is that Erling Haaland has generally scored more goals in Chelsea Football Club this Man, season. Man, who cares? Who cares about Haaland right now? No one cares about. It's right now. It's all about the MBE. Focus. Put uh, your finger to your head. Focus. That's what. That's what everyone is doing right now. Do me a favor and don't men- don't mention Rashford again for the rest of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but um, I think for Chelsea at the moment, they should should Potter get sacked? I I saw something saying that they will give Potter till the end of the season. But if if they continue losing and drawing and losing and just dropping points, and right now, if I'm not mistaken, they're not in any other competition at the moment besides the league and Champions League. If they get knocked out of the Champions League as well, like are they sure like that they want to give until the end of the season? Or sometimes it's a case that. If you just keep on losing too much, that I'm sorry, that means that you're just simply not doing your job as manager. Should they get rid of them? It it depends. I mean, the, there's some Chelsea fans who are kind of happy with what with how Chelsea operated in the in the sense where they'll be lit one season and then the next season they are whack and then they'll sack their manager and then they'll be lit one season and the new manager will be lit that season. Then the next season they're whack and then sack that manager and kind of going through that continuous process. Or do they actually want to build something long-term? If you want to go for something long-term, I say stick with Potter and just have to kind of go through these growing pains and reap the benefits. Yeah, I think um, hopefully that's what's going to work out for them. And all those eight-year contracts, which uh, boyley has been, I still can't believe he's done that. And the fact that FFP has to adjust to that sort of uh, 
that sort of contract structure just shows that they really did find a really good loophole. And then now they want to like double down on it, um, whether it's the FA or FIFA or UEFA or whoever handles these regulations. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, before we move on to what will be a mid-season recap, we're going to do some mid-season awards at the end of this episode. I just wanted to talk about the Qatari investment, which is going to take over, or at least threatens to take over Manchester United, since the Glazers are miraculously selling Manchester United after everybody thought that they'll be, you know, United would be enslaved by the Glazers for, you know, who knows how much longer. Um, there's been so many buyers uh, potentially for the Glazers to sell Manchester United. The Qatari Investment Group is the latest one. We've heard Sir Jim Radcliffe. We've also heard Elon Musk. What do you think about um, you know, the Qatari investment in particular? Because that seems like it's it's heating up. I keep on seeing United fans posting memes that today I feel Qatari, which honestly, like I don't know how rival fans feel about it. I know that I'm very indifferent towards um ownership from the Middle East, but what do you think United fans take would it be like what are United fans take? Like how would they feel, you know, being usurped, the glazers yeah. out, and you get the Qatari investment? For as long as I can remember, I have really, really disliked oil money. And I made a point to talk about how Man City are just an oil club. And, you know, that's for me kind of something that I make fun of City fans for being an oil club. And it's, it's, yeah, it's easy to hate until you get a knock at your door. <laughs> and it's and it's Qatar with a bunch of money. It is easy to hate when it's when you're at your, when they're at your doorstep. It's a bit it's a bit tough to say no. So now I, I won't lie. My tune has changed a little bit. <laughs> and I I'm not totally against um Qatar buying United. I feel like the the big thing with the Glazers basically was two things really. One, United they, they bought United on a leverage debt, so United were in debt to to money that the Glazers had borrowed and so we were having to pay that out. And then two, the Glazers were taking dividends. So we're, United were in debt and the Glazers were taking out dividends instead of reinvesting all the money we earned back into the club to pay off the debt. And so those were like the two big factors that people didn't really like or appreciate about the Glazers. Qatar comes in and solves that because they're going to buy the club cash. They're not, no debt. They're, that's, that's the important thing. They're going to buy the club, no debt. And secondly, all the money is going to be put back into um, a foundation which is funding the club called the 9-2 Foundation and also back back into the club. So the two kind of big sticking points with the Glazer ownership are cancelled with Qatar. And because of that, I feel like a lot of United fans are are very willing to have Qatar as their owners. Obviously, there are a lot of issues with Qatar ethically. You know, we heard about them at the World Cup. We heard about all this, all this stuff. We we heard about it when uh, um, Newcastle wanted to be bought by Saudi Arabia. These kind of ethical issues with countries in the Middle East, but that's for other teams. That's for other people to decide. I think one standing, one outstanding issue though might be the fact that Qatar also have a stake in PSG, and so you can't have it's it's not it's not allowed. You can't have two teams that play in the same competition, in this case, the Champions League, that are owned by the same uh, the same party just because of conflicts of interest. So it's going to... I don't know how they're going to prove, how Qatar are going to prove that it's a different entity that owns United from the one that owns PSG because it's 
you know it's all the same family really it's the, the qatar royal family on elon musk i love elon musk you know i i think he's he's an interesting guy he's a really smart businessman he's he, he has some good ideas but i feel like i i wouldn't want him <laughs> as the owner of manchester united because he's just so like he's so occupied there's so many things that he's doing like tesla spacex um twitter and i just feel like yeah man maybe focus on that focus on trying to get to mars and that stuff i don't want you coming to united and then kind of messing things up so for elon i'm good thanks and uh lastly jim so jim ratcliffe who i think a lot of people last last year when chelsea were in sale a lot of people were, were kind of saying, oh, Jim Radcliffe, he's bidding for Chelsea. Why doesn't he bid for United? We want him to come bid for United. You know, if United are on sale, come, come save us from the Glazers. So I, don't, I think people also wouldn't mind him. And he has a good track record with Nice. I mean, he's done okay at Nice. And he'd also come in and remove the debt from the club. He'd buy it off of loans, but loans that he would be taking personally through uh, i think jp morgan so yeah a lot of boring finance stuff but at the end of the day i think united will be happy with any new owner as long as it's not the glazers although i do think that right now in this moment in time most united fans would prefer a qatari buyout definitely yeah there's a lot of politics involved in um that sort of situation um you know, you think about City Football Group, who own multiple um, football clubs across the world, or even yeah. um, Red Bull, who own, I think, at least three or four clubs, Salzburg, Leipzig, uh, New York City, uh, Red Bull. So, But then to own two clubs in Europe, which can uh, directly face each other, that's a uh, possible conflict of interest. But either way, Man United, uh, sh- will, will, they will get new owners. Um, I think that should be a must. I don't know if anything can break down, but uh, we'll see how that goes. And I just hope it's—I just hope it's anybody that can really like just dissolve the club and all the uh, noise can stop. Okay, that is horrible for me to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the listeners. I heard that. I'm—I apologize. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's move on to the the latter part of this episode to really cap us off. And that is mid-season awards in the Premier League in particular. The Premier League is the biggest, well, it's the, it's the biggest club league in the world. And um, honestly, right now, it almost feels like as if everything else is mid. Like, I don't know about you, Mark, but then La Liga, like, it's just not the same vibe. Bundesliga doesn't yeah. seem to be, well, it's, it's having, they're having tight races, but it just feels like the Premier League is just, we're calling it the Super League, effectively now, because even the last week in which we just saw with Villa Arsenal four uh, two, we saw you know Southampton beating Chelsea. We saw we see so many things week in week out in the Premier League, which I just feel like it's just the other the other leagues feel jealous. It almost seems like if you've noticed uh, the papers and the this European Super League has emerged again in the papers again. But um, you know this is why we focus so much on it because it just has a plethora of talent and you know the drama to come with. So let's let's, yeah. let's get into these midseason awards. Um, so Mark, you you go first. Best player, unequivocally. I think so far when you when you score uh, twenty six goals in the first half of the season, it's hard <laughs> not to say you're the best player. And so for me, it would be Haaland. I know he's not 
maybe he's not scored the prettiest goals, but he has been scoring 26 goals at this point in the season. I think how many games have they played? 24 games, 26 goals. That is no joke. So for that reason, Erling Haaland is my player of the season so far, so far. Yeah, I think I understand the sentiment there, but at the end of the day, he's just, he isn't really the best player. Like in terms of like, everything that you can come to an all-round standpoint because you look at Harry Kane, which isn't having as, as good a season in terms of, like, Tottenham season comparison to cities. But then we saw them face against each other and you just felt like Kane's better than Holland, which, you know, just from the fact that if Kane just had, like, six more goals and tied Holland maybe, like, 26-26, all of a sudden, well, then Kane is no doubt better. But just because Holland scored, you know, I would say like maybe about like nine to ten more goals than Kane. And Holland is playing in a team that really provides for him. I think, you know, I just don't want to give him the best player tag. I would rather give it to anybody else if I'm being honest. But then that would just make me sound like a hater. Like even Kevin De Bruyne, although he this isn't his best season in terms of like, he still had a great season because he's assisted so much. I would say that he's probably the best player at City and he's having the best possibly the best playing season at City, apart from Haaland, because of all the goals that he scored. Because if you take De Bruyne out of that team, Haaland's not scoring jack, right? Um, like, I'd like to mention a few more people. Granit Xhaka was good first half of the season, kind of dipped in form now. Miguel Almiron was unbelievable for, like, maybe six weeks. <laughs> and then now I don't know what's going on with him. I he think scored just last week, huh? I think so. Who? Almiron. I think he scored a goal Almiron. last week. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter because well, the the frequency has clearly dipped. Heavily, oh yes, it has. It has. Heavily, I'm inclined to give this to De Bruyne out of respect for everything that he does to keep the team in check because he's the only one that passes the ball to Holland to score most of the time. Um. So I'll go. With, I'll go with De Bruyne so far, but then Martin Odegaard has what? to be mentioned has to be mentioned, you know, for the catalyst that he's provided for Arsenal. Yeah, I can uh I I can allow it and I do understand your sentiment about Haaland, but uh at the end of the day the hardest thing in football, the hardest thing to do in football is to score goals. And Erling Haaland has done that twenty four times in uh but, or has done that twenty six times, sorry. Yes. Twenty four yes. matches. So uh yes. Yeah, for me, it's hard to deny. We'll just keep it at that. You know, you don't, you don't have to say anymore, Mark. We'll just keep it at that, okay? Don't Where my Holland stands at. Come on. You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, let's move on. Best young player. Saka, surely. Ooh. Surely. Um, like, unless you want to give it to Holland just because he's still young. But then, in terms of, like, overall play, like... I I think I'm just inclined to give it to Saka, especially since he's also younger than Holland. Of course, that doesn't really make sense because Holland's still young, but surely it's Saka. I think this season he's just been unbelievable, and you can't say Marcus Rashford; he's too old now. Let go. Yeah, I think I think Saka is a is a fair shout. Uh, I think I already sang his praises early in this episode, so I don't mind that. I think he is. Yeah, I think he has been very good. He's been a key part to Arsenal's title charge so far. I would like to give a shout out though to um, Saliba. I think Saliba has been immense. He's um, he's probably looked the mo- the 
better of the back four. One of the better of the back in the back four uh, of Arsenal's back four. And uh, you guys, I think, have had one of the best defensive records in the league. And I think Saliba has been a big part of that. So, yeah, honourable mention to uh, William Saliba. Yeah, I think uh, we could also mention Moises Caicedo, first half of the year. That almost got him his move to Arsenal, actually. Um, but unfortunately, just fell through. He had a good first half, but then he hasn't been playing too recently because of the transfer scandals and everything. Uh, Martinelli's also had a very good year after his proper breakout season the previous year. He's still, him and Saka are still around the same age, so he's also had a pretty good year. Um, uh, but I think uh, first Martinelli. half... First yeah. half of the season, yeah. obviously. Yeah, okay, yeah. I know there's been yeah. a recent dip, but then, come on, first half of the season, like there wasn't really anybody on left wing that was better for him to a point, particularly young players, because Rashford's out of it. There's not really anybody else to mention, is first, there? First, first half of the season, I'll give it to him. The guy was on fire. But like, ever since the World Cup, yeah, he's been, he's, been, he's been questionable. Don't call him mid-mark. I'm not, okay. no, 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 I'm not going to call it. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, so next one has to be the best goalkeeper. And goalie is a really hard position. And I think, you know, like, I don't know whether you noticed um, when, among the previous weekends where it's very difficult to keep a clean sheet this season. It really does seem. But um, I think Nick Pope is one person that stands out for me personally. And He's a big reason why Newcastle have had, I think they still do have the best defensive record in the league this season. And that's one reason why Newcastle have been so high up on the table, floating in and around fourth place, is that they do actually have, a, in factually, a better defensive record than the three teams that are above them, United City and Arsenal. Do you agree? I think this might be the only one where we actually do agree 100%. I have, I have his statistics right here. Nick Pope. 12 clean sheets, 15 goals, only 15 goals conceded, 54 saves, 78.3 save success percentage. I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. He has been, he's been great. I think I mean, that, def- defensively, what... Newcastle yeah. have been good. I think the back four have been really good. Eddie Howe's got them playing in a way where they don't concede many goals. But even when you do get past um, the back four, Eddie, um, Nick Pope, He's like a brick wall. You're not getting anything past him. Yeah, no, of course. I think we had to like certainly give it to Nick Pope. I think Allison, though Liverpool have been bad, he's been among Liverpool's most consistent players. I know that he's been conceding a lot, but then it's not it's not really his fault that that's the case. Um, David Raya for Brentford, he's been pretty good, and Kepa Aretha Balaga. It has to be mentioned that he has had a reemergence. I think Potter has gone the best out of him to a point where by Edward Mendy. Has has been out of favor because of Kepa. Yeah, uh, I did. I did. That's a comeback I did not see coming. But yeah, he's been. He's also been very good since he's come back into the squad. Right. So that settles that. Nick Pope, and our next award is biggest crybaby. And there's only you know I can give you three nominations: Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. And Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, this is first half of the season, guys. That means Ronaldo was actually at United in the first half of the season. And nothing worse than going to Pierce Morgan to have one of the cringest, well, one of the most cringe interviews I've ever watched personally. 
and then complain about everything, go to the World Cup, not perform there, and then head over to Saudi Arabia? Or is that just too much banter for you, Mark? Uh, I think it's a little bit too much banter for me. That one hit a little too close to home. Uh, I think my my biggest crybaby of this season, I'll give it out to a manager and I'll, I'll say uh, Arteta or maybe him and Pep, I mean him and Klopp can uh, can share this first place. I think both of them love to complain. They love it. And you see their antics on the touchline. Oh my days, these guys are outrageous. They're doing all sorts of things. I think we saw the game in the game yesterday. Sorry. Uh yesterday, uh Aston Villa versus Arsenal. Uh at ju- closer to the end of the game, I think the ref was uh indicating a, a substitution. And Arteta for for no reason, he blocked him. And I was like, bro, why why what no, are you complaining what do you mean, about? What do, you mean, what do you mean for no reason? First of all, get your facts right. I don't I don't know what incident you're mentioning there, but the only incident which I recall inside that match was when there was a free kick and the ball was moving and then the referee called it back and then he made the hand gesture. Ah, yes. That the ball, that the ball, that the ball was yes. rolling. But then, yes. The ref- but then to be fair, the referee did delay that action because he wasn't looking. So he just assu- I think he actually just assumed, if I'm being honest, maybe he was looking. And maybe the ball was, in fact, rolling, but then it just killed the momentum of an, of an attack. I think quite a few managers can get frustrated with that sort of situation. Doesn't although matter. I've, guess, never although... Seen, I've never seen a manager imitate nah, a referee. I've never seen a manager nah, imitate a referee. And nah, especially, especially the way Arteta did it. I can bet you 5,000 rand or even, like, I don't know, like, I can even bet you, like, like maybe a hundred pounds that Mourinho's probably done something like that, or even Conte. Like I can bet you that there's been plenty you of managers which are not referees. I thought for those of you listening, go to the box to box Twitter page and just send us any clip you have of managers reacting or copying, um, not not reacting but copying gestures or gestures made by the referee, and uh, you guys can prove me wrong. But uh, yeah, he's my Mark, 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 you don't need the list. Mark, you don't need the listeners for that. I'll post it. I'll find it. <laughs> him and Klopp are my two uh, biggest crybabies of the season so far. I'll give you. I'll give you Pep and I'll give you Klopp. Pep as well. Let's not forget that after 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 Pep lost the game against Spurs, I don't know where this came from, Mark, but he said that it's very difficult to travel from Manchester to London. It's a horrible trip. Like I've never heard Pep complain about traveling between cities ever until then, which was weird. And Klopp, obviously, he's been very biting the press conferences like recently. Like It just feels like as if if you ask him the wrong question, he's going to bite your head off. So I'll just give you that. All I'm saying is, is that people want to single out Arteta. But, you know, it's, it's, it's up to you guys. I think I'll put up a poll. Who was the biggest crybaby um, first half of the season or even up to now? Um, Arteta. 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 Okay, so next, next. So most improved, most improved player. Ah, uh, easy. Marcus Rashford. MBE. Doctor. The doctor himself. I mean, last season obviously was was absolutely shocking. I think he scored five goals at the at the end of last season. It's it's really a write off. Like no one even will ever talk about that season because it was just that bad. And he's come back this season with a bang, especially after the World Cup. He has been 
insane. Easily Manchester United's best player since the World Cup and easily the most informed player I'd argue in the world right now. So that that that's an easy one for me. I think Marcus Rashford has been the most improved player this season so far. Yeah, I think I'll agree with that because honestly, I do. I am a I am a fan of Rashford, but then I'm just not explicitly like that. I'm not really quite like Ramzan, whereby literally Ramzan's personality is Marcus Rashford. Sorry about that, Ramzan. But um, you know, I'm I'm not all about that. Like in terms of like you know that heavy standism. Um, as far as that's concerned. So I'll agree with that, but then I'll just have to mention Granit Xhaka. Of course, his form has dipped. A lot of people's form has dipped recently, if I'm being honest, um, in the Arsenal team and even elsewhere. But I'll mention Granit Xhaka because of the journey. Not to say that Rashford hasn't had a journey, but then Granit Xhaka improved last season. And then, you know, even this year, at one point, he was even performing better than the Premier League's usual number eights. I mean, at one point, you even felt like he was producing more than Bruno Fernandes, who has been among the better eights in the Premier League this season. Um, not necessarily, and like, not necessarily to the level of Kevin De Bruyne, but tactically, it almost felt like as if he was having a Kevin De Bruyne-esque impact tactically. That is, but maybe just not the same production really. Um, Miguel Amaron has also improved a lot this year, although that was like a gate, like it's giving purple patch now. Um, two more honorable mentions. Diogo Dalo, I think I, I'm, I'm impressed with him. He's he's improved. Yeah. Um, and and of course Kepa from barely even being able to make any saves to Chelsea number one clearly now. So that's uh, those are some good ones. But then Rashford has to be the guy because from what he was from what he was, I think the season where he really had the most difficulty was. Um, was last year really? I think yeah, most difficulty there after the Euros, and then yeah, to this season, I think yeah, that's a, that's a big jump. He is very much in form. So for our next one, uh, signing of the season, or should we just throw it up and say it's Holland? <laughs> yeah, I think you already know. I've spoken enough about Holland, but uh, my signing. Yeah, Samiro has also been very actually, good. Actually, actually, sorry. Samiro. no. I actually, I don't think Haaland is the signing of the season. I think I mentioned this in another podcast and I got heat for it. I, I remember saying that um, Haaland signing Man City won't make that big of a difference for City. And, mm. I, and I think I've been proved correct because at the halfway point of the season, this season and last season, Man City had scored around the same number of goals. And that was what I was trying to get to previously or, or in the episode where I mentioned this, that Holland is a great player. He'll come into Man City and he'll score lots of goals. But I don't think he necessarily makes Manchester City a much better team. Like he does improve them, but not by that much. And I, I kind of equated it to like pouring like a small cup of water into a lake. Like, okay, yeah, you've technically you have added more water and it's made it's gonna make a difference but it's gonna be very small and that's what i think he's he's had i don't think he's had the biggest impact and yeah i mean right now city are in second place so you can argue that i do think casemiro is a good shout i think casemiro has been has been huge for united when united play with casemiro and without casemiro it's almost day and night the difference 
he is he is so good for that structure he's so good at a, a thing called rest defense which eric ten Hag is in love with he's so good at winning the ball back like very quickly and very high up the pitch where whereas there's i don't think there's another player that manchester united have that can do that as consistently and as well as he does it so yeah i think Casemiro definitely he, he is up there for for signing of the season if not maybe the signing of the season you guys won your last two games without him by the way okay yeah, but that's but we, we we played <laughs> we played we played awfully like any you could ask any united fan it was not a comfortable win are you I saying the Leicester, are Leicester, are know, Leicester and Leeds United that bad? <laughs> okay, Leeds United are that bad. But um, Leicester today, for, for if they were more clinical, if we're being honest and they were more clinical, I think they had like eight shots in the first 20 minutes. They should, they should realistically have scored and we should have been 2-0 down. But yeah, they're not very clinical and David De Gea was on a madness. So... We we were lucky if we're being if we're, if we're being honest, but yeah, when Casemiro is there, that doesn't happen. Yeah, I'll just mention uh, Alexander Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus um, because of the galvanization that they gave the Arsenal team, and of course Jesus has injured been injured since, and Ketia has done a decent job up to uh, up until recently, but then Zinchenko has been so influential. To the point where, by like, he's really setting up the pace there. Um, I wouldn't give them signing of the season. I think a lot of people still give it to Holland, like by default. But I'm willing to lock down on Casemiro, just because of the fact that United are just overachieving much too heavily for my liking. So there you go, Casemiro. You put a big smile on my face, Nick. Thank you very much for choosing Casemiro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, most most likely to leave a stadium before full time award, Christian. Okay, sorry, that that's on the list, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the actual next award is um most exciting team. Yo, Ronaldo FC's gonna have me tonight, that's for sure. <laughs> um, most exciting team to watch. Um, there's a lot of teams that fit this mold. You can go Arsenal, Newcastle United, Fulham, Brighton, even Manchester United. I think personally, I have enjoyed Brighton Hove Albion games. I think Arsenal by default would be my pick for this, but just because it's just too easy to say Arsenal, I have to say that Brighton is a team where, like, I actually do watch their games, even when they're facing another mid-table team, because that's how that's how much they interest me. But by far, most exciting is Arsenal, though. I'll still keep to that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I do agree with you. I think probably the team that's playing, or that's for the majority of the season, that's been playing the best football is Arsenal. And when you guys have been playing, you guys have been playing some really good stuff. But I think Brighton have been amazing. I think when they lost Graham Potter, it was everyone was a bit worried to say, oh, will Brighton keep this up? Or is this the end of Brighton? I think they lost... They lost. Uh, they lost a, a few players as well during the during the transfer market, and ev- oh, they lost like uh, the likes of Cucurella, Cucurella, sorry, and um, who did they who did they have in midfield? Sorry, my my mind has just gone blank. But they were able to replace. Were able to replace him. They were able to get in Mitoma. So they've they've kind of been able to get in Caicedo. So they've not really missed all the players they've lost, and they managed to get in a manager in Deserbi who. 
yeah has his own his own way of playing but it's still a great or it's still a great brand of football so they've easily been the most probably exciting team that i wouldn't have expected i think we always expect arsenal united um those types of teams to play good football but uh brighton this season have thoroughly surprised me how well they've been playing so um they are my honorable mention but uh, i think my vote will go for arsenal all right, and then just one last quick one. I don't. I know I didn't put this in the list before, but manager of the season so far would have to be Makar Teta. I would have. I would have gone Eddie Howe, but the recent fall off and the potential of Newcastle finishing outside the top four. I don't know why, but I just felt like if it, if they do finish top four, Eddie Howe would probably have to be manager of the manager of the season still. But Mikel for sure. I think to qualify for manager of the season, you have to be bold. So if that is the case, it has to be Eric Ten Hag. Congratulations, <laughs> Mr. Ten Hag. But no, on, in, in all seriousness, Arteta has been really good. Um, but uh, I, I would just be inclined to say Eric Ten Hag just because of um, two reasons. The squad kind of he inherited from Ranik was in a really really bad place and you know not many people thought that the players there could do a job and he's got these turned around and they're doing a job and secondly is when the season started we lost two games really badly and a lot of people lost faith almost immediately and I was I was right I'm not gonna lie I was like oh my days is Ten Hag a fraud but um, no, he's shown us he's he's the truth. He's the real deal. And yeah, how the the brand of football he's got Man United playing, man, it's crazy. He is him, literally. So uh, my my shout for manager of the season so far goes to Eric Ten Hag. All right, no, I respect that. I like I like Ten Hag. I like what he's doing, but still not better than Arteta. Okay, so that is literally uh, the return episode of the box to box second half of the season we're doing a title charge guys um well not 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 arsenal exactly but i'm talking about the podcast of course uh so i'm just happy that you guys are listening to this episode um we're gonna be producing more episodes uh, a bit more regularly from february going into the end of the season and uh make sure to follow us on our socials we're on twitter we're on tiktok i'm gonna leave some descriptions for those socials um lower down on wherever you're listening this on and let's get to the end of the season guys thanks for listening